depending on the translation of this morning's scripture, it's a speck or a splinter or a piece of straw in your neighbor's eye and a log or a plank or a beam in your own eye. Why do you look at the little thing in your neighbor's eye when you've got the big thing in your own eye? Jesus asks. You hypocrite, you play actor, you charlatan, the different translations say, check yourself first, correct yourself first before you point the finger at someone else. Get the big thing out of your own eye and then maybe, maybe you can help your neighbor get the little thing out of their eye. In Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase, he gets away from the speck and log images altogether. After all, who really has a log in their eye? It's a bit of exaggeration, right? Instead, his paraphrase uses images that are perhaps more realistic when it comes to what actually shows on our faces when we are in judgment mode. Here's his version. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. I know the theme for this Sunday is take the log out, but that language that Peterson offers is even more convicting for me. It slips past my I don't do the speck and log thing attitude and compels me to be more reflective, maybe even more honest with myself. Is my own face distorted by contempt when I'm looking at the smudge on someone else's cheek? Am I playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living my God-given part, the part that God made for me, the I-still-have-a-ways-to-go part that God has in store for me? I might deny having a log in my eye, but when I look in the mirror, do I have an ugly sneer that needs wiped away before I can hand a washcloth to someone else? Those thoughts are helpful to me because they push me toward self-examination, when speck and log language might not. They are helpful alternate images because in all honesty, I know that I probably do have a sneer on my face from time to time as I look at the smudge on someone else's cheek or chin. So Peterson's paraphrase opens me up. But the one thing that speck and log images have going for them is that they make a point about vision, about seeing clearly or not seeing clearly. If I can't see because my vision is impaired or blocked or I have a gigantic blind spot, then how can I judge whether there is something impairing someone else's vision? If my problem is big, then how am I qualified to judge your relatively little issue? Why would I turn the focus toward you if my own vision is unfocused? Sometimes I literally get something small in my eye, a speck if you will, and I don't want someone who can't see trying to dig around and get it out. And I certainly don't need someone telling me that my eye is irritated or my eye is tearing up. 
At those times, I know I've got something in there that's bothering me, even if I don't know exactly what it is. And at times like that, I don't need your accusation or your analysis. I need your gentle help. But only the sort of help that I invite or ask for, the sort of help that I am ready to receive. And on the other side of things, every now and then I probably do have a, a log of sorts in my eye. I might not know it until I see it myself. And the best way to learn of such things is to discover my own blind spot and to do so again, hopefully, in the presence of those who are gentle as they help me to finally see my arrogance or my ignorance. Logs, as big as they are, are hard to see sometimes. A speck can be irritating, but a log can be so big that we don't even recognize that it is so irritating. It just blocks everything. So I guess the question I want to ask isn't just how do I stop judging the speck in someone else's eye, but how do I begin to get the big log out of my own eye? Isn't that the place to start? Trying to clear up my own vision? Sure, I need to stop judging others, but shouldn't I begin with self-examination and self-awareness? Because we all have big old logs blocking our view. We all have blind spots, and we all resist that truth. We'd rather skip to someone else's ignorance or arrogance than confront our own. This past week, I was on a Zoom call sponsored by the Church of the Brethren Women's Caucus with support from the Supportive Communities Network. It was a training session, actually more of an introduction to the principles of, of, principles of Kingian nonviolence. Matt Gwynn of On Earth Peace and two other ecumenical colleagues of his were the hosts, teachers, and presenters. I was on the call because I thought it was something I really should do. You know, an opportunity comes along and you think, that's something I should do. Maybe not something you really want to do or something that you think you have time to do, but something you should do. I didn't really think about that very much until at the beginning of the call, Matt invited people to write in the chat box why they were there and what they hoped to learn. And I realized that I didn't much want to admit to my motive for participating that should language. Nevertheless, as sometimes happens when I do something worthwhile, but for the wrong reasons, the learning session was more beneficial than I expected. Maybe that was the first step in removing a log from my eye, realizing that I was not expecting a real benefit when I should know better. Kingian nonviolence, as you might imagine, is based on the teachings and ideals of Martin Luther King Jr. The training workshop talked about four pillars of Kingian nonviolence, how we understand conflict, the social dynamics of nonviolence, six principles and six steps. We had an hour and a half and only scratched the surface, but it was all very interesting and very compelling. There was a lot to learn. But I had one of those moments about midway through when we were told something that was incredibly obvious when I heard it, but clearly not something that I had been able to see, much less articulate before. 
Was I becoming aware of a log in my own eye? Probably. Because I had one of those learning moments when you actually feel a little foolish because you realize you were missing something that seemed so obvious once you heard it, but you just couldn't see it clearly before. It had to do with the social dynamics of nonviolence and an idea about aggression and conciliation. So there was a simple chart that had the word aggression on one side and an arrow running from the word aggression to the other side of the chart where there was the word people. So aggression, an arrow, and people. In other words, in conflict situations, we often have aggression directed toward people. That was no surprise. That's the nature of most conflict, right? And it's why we think of conflict as bad. At least I was raised to think that way. And since aggression toward people is bad, then you need to stop the aggression. And how do you stop the aggression? Well, you have to stop the conflict. But then on this chart, right below the word aggression on that one side was the word conciliation. And again, there was an arrow going from one side to the other. And on the other side, below the word people, was the word conditions. So conciliation and conditions. In other words, we express conciliation toward conditions. For example, feeling bad about something that's happening in the world or feeling generalized sympathy toward a situation. Now, the thing that opened my eyes was an invitation to consider a simple shift. Instead of having aggression toward people and conciliation toward conditions, what if we move our aggression toward conditions of injustice, for example, and at the same time redirect our conciliation toward people? Just a switch of those arrows. Not something really that remarkable, but that little illustration opened my eyes to a different perspective. This idea, don't suppress, don't stop, but rather shift. After the call, I emailed Matt and asked him some more questions, and he was gracious enough to write back with this explanation. I'll use his words because he explains it better than I can, since my eye is still getting used to seeing this idea. He wrote, conditions in this model are the realities, the specific policies and practices and systems that make up the problem. People in the model are the ones who currently carry out, enforce, determine, or impact those policies. We, society, can often be conciliatory toward conditions. This looks like, for example, my heart hurts so much about those kids in cages at the border, which may be true that you have empathetic feeling. This feeling is a big part of conciliation energy. This often leads to charity, which is a great step. People need help, but insufficient to actually change the conditions themselves. All our sad feelings can result in perpetuating the status quo. All our, bad, our feeling bad about poverty doesn't change the situation for poor people. In a police-involved shooting, he continues, the conditions are the training policies and rules surrounding use of force. You can be as mad as you want 
at a specific officer who shoots someone, that is, aggression toward people, and perhaps that person should lose their job, but you won't make a difference unless you channel your aggression toward those policies within which the officer operates. You can also be brokenhearted about what happens with all those police shootings, that's conciliation toward conditions, wishing it weren't that way, but charity and the status quo will prevail. Better to channel the deeper conciliation of agape love to the individuals in that system while trying to change the system itself. Shifting conciliation toward people, he says, means recommitting to agape love, using our feeling function to see apparent opponents as human, as having dignity, and not as ultimately the root problem. We look for ways to win them to our side while at the same time pressing hard for change, using our righteous indignation to press on systems. Okay, maybe all of that seems obvious to you or you think it's not that remarkable, but here's where I have been stuck without even knowing it. I know that aggression toward people is bad. It doesn't solve anything. But what I tend to do with that knowledge is try to get rid of the aggression or the anger, to step away from it, to stop it, rather than redirecting it in a better, healthier, or more productive direction. And when I do that, all I do is gum up the works. I don't actually work to solve anything other than trying to protect my own self-perception that I am not an aggressive person or that I'm a good person because I am not aggressive toward other people. It usually hasn't occurred to me that instead of stopping that energy, I should be shifting it, switching it. Feeling bad doesn't change anything. But redirecting my energy, or even more nakedly, my anger toward unjust conditions and redirecting my conciliation energy or feelings toward people caught up in those conditions is a two-fold shift that just might have an effect. It's like Peterson's admonition to wipe off the sneer before I wipe off the smudge. An awareness has to take hold, and then a shift has to take place. So instead of fighting people you feel are unjust, you fight the conditions of injustice. And instead of feeling sympathy about an issue, you direct your concern toward actual people. How could I not see that shift clearly? I mean, I could see the pieces of it. I know about the difference between personal sin and systemic sin. I could see the need to address systemic issues and not just personal ones. But we came, what became obvious to me the other evening is that I couldn't quite see the shift in two directions at the same time. Maybe it's like this. One of the logs in my eye has been a conviction that all aggression is bad, or all anger is bad, or all conflict is bad. That's the log. It's been put there by my upbringing. It may have even been put there by the church. 
But if I remove that log, then maybe I can see that it's not the aggression or the anger that's bad. It's the way that the aggression or anger is targeted or directed that's the problem. I shouldn't direct it at people, but I need some more of that energy directed at problems. And if conflict is the context through which those shifts can happen, then conflict becomes a tool rather than a barrier, a washcloth rather than a slap. Maybe I've gotten too far into the weeds for you, but my point is this. We can be smart and good-hearted and well-meaning and still have blind spots, huge blind spots. We can get judgment and discernment mixed up. We can look hard at the way that other people are making life miserable or dangerous or unfair and be completely oblivious to how unhelpful or ignorant or arrogant we ourselves are being. We can even be well-intentioned and at the same time be unaware of how limited our vision is. Having the log in your eye doesn't mean that you are a worse sinner than the person with the speck. Jesus isn't condemning you for the log. He's warning you about your certainty that you are log-free when others are not. Because the truth is that no one is log-free. The truth is that everyone has something in their own eye and everyone has blind spots. Some of my blind spots are probably big enough to drive a truck through and maybe yours are too. And the way we help each other isn't to point and laugh or criticize or poke someone else in the eye. Instead, the way we help each other is to teach and share, to offer what we have discovered and then let others take it up. The way we help each other is to gently come alongside someone who is finally seeing what they couldn't see before. The way we help each other is to give each other the space for discovery. The way we help each other is to commit to self-examination before we jump on the bandwagon of constructive criticism. The way we help each other is by learning to trust that a sister or a brother can actually help us see what we have been unable to see so far. There's no shame in having a log in your eye, but it is a shame if you see it and you still cling to it, even as you criticize the speck that someone else is trying to wash out of their own eye. Open your own eyes first. Check your own vision first. And God will give you the grace to see. To see clearly. Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent prayer and reflection.